0: Thanks for listening to The Gist. If you want to check out an ad-free version and bonus content, go to subscribe.mikepesca.com. It is the best way to directly support our endeavors. It's Wednesday, June 28th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca, Headline and business insider, Giant Food President says thieves are stealing everything from shrimp to deodorant and warned some grocery stores could close. I could see why after stealing the shrimp, you'd need something to throw the police off your scent. But in all God's honest truth, this is serious. This really is, this is happening everywhere. You've read about it, no doubt. We have the CEO of Giant telling local media, quote, what we must always do is ensure we can run our stores safely and profitably. If we can't do both those things, I'll have no choice but to close a store. This clearly takes a toll. You've definitely heard about the trend. The people in the Washington, D.C. area watching WUSA Channel 9 did not want their Giant grocery stores to close. But I noted this portion of the report about the retail thefts at Giant. Inside the store, there's a sign up letting customers know there have been several changes due to significant increase in crime and theft. Now, among those changes, self-checkout is now limited to 20 items or less. That self-scanner bit, I heard reference to that in other coverage too. Retail theft and losses, and also self-scanners. Well, self-scanners aren't people stealing from the retailer. It's sort of the retailer stealing from would-be employees who could be earning the paycheck that a robot is not earning, but has been eating up. Self-scanners are an unasked for agreement where the retailer conscripts the consumer to do a job it once did. Now I gotta say, personally, I have a rule of three at the checkout, scan it once, really hope it goes through, scan it again, still hoping it works, scan it a third time, assiduously check to see I'm following the rules, check to see I've put the GD purchases in the ever-loving purchase area, see that the weight checks out, Make sure the barcode is legible. But really, how much do you ask of my indentured servitude? I'm sorry about your shrimp shrinkage, but I'm a bit at my wit's end here. I'm not saying I steal items when self-scanning. But if an honest person in my exact situation, and perhaps you've been there, if that person were to be pushed to the limits, I could understand that person saying, how much time and attention do I have to put in getting the beep to register in the right way rather than a dishonest beep, which it seems to be telling me. Much like your deodorant, sirs, I am at a loss over the question of how much work I need to do in order to pay you. And also, giant... You're out of shrimp. Again. On the show today, I go from local retail news to not just national or international news, but a planetary development. The Earth is off by 31.5 inches. Does this warrant two and a half feet of panic or 2100 gigatons of caution? But first, we're joined once more by Lee Berger. The paleoanthropologist discovered Homo naledi in the system of caves in South Africa. Now, I say he discovered this early human, or hominin. He hired slim researchers to fit into the crevasse, which led to Homo Naledi's lair. But he knew that he had to see the site for himself. And so the ever-expansive, yet recently shrunken, Lee Berger is up next to tell us about the lengths he went to and the widths he retreated from. Because his wife says you know what that picture and that man means to you it doesn't mean to other people and you have to understand that and then in the interview they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in rolling stone magazine that pretty much ended his career where i uh, got to the desk of barack obama and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter And not to wallow in, he could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter, or the president at that point. But he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or discovering a little mindset tweak. That changes how you see the world. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H A R, like the first three letters in hard, B I N G E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're joined once more by paleoanthropologist Lee Berger, National Geographic explorer in residence and the leader of the team that discovered Homo naledi. This was a significant discovery, it was Berger's second really big discovery, because Homo naledi engage in behaviors that we previously thought of as our own. One was symbol-making, the other burial or bone caching. But some other experts have expressed skepticism. The New York Times quoted an archaeologist, Paul Pettit of Durham University, saying, you know, it's possible the bodies may have just washed in. They weren't really buried that way. So I asked Berger about the understandable tendency as the discoverer of this entire species, as the person bringing them to the world's attention, who wants to see in them the most advancement you can. I asked him if the evidence was truly there. Are you sure the bones and symbols mean what you say they mean? So so, uh, thank you for asking that question so i, I want to start with
1: one thing and, and there is a tendency in media that that is 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 it's sort of a natural human tendency, but it, even the New York Times or The Wall Street Journal are saying, you know Lee Berger says there were thirty plus scientists on this paper mm-hmm. so i want I want to start with that so. You're quoting one or two or three scientists against 30 of some of the most experienced scientists in the world in this field who are all concluding this. And it's being based upon evidence. I would say my, my quick answer to Paul Pettit in that is, and I'll give you an interesting anecdote here, but my first answer is read the paper. We, we actually show in page after page that there is no evidence that material has washed in there. What we show very clearly, and by the way, we were actually addressing a recent paper by Paul that said what would the standards need to be to meet burial? Mm-hmm. And we met them. He just yeah. then raised the standards again, <laughs> which is a, a human a human thing to do. But what we have in that that cave, let me let me lay it out in, in the elevator speech. We have a floor that has uh, almost no stratigraphy in it except for a one stratigraphic line, an orange-red clay line about five centimeters down that has been interrupted. So something has dug a hole and broken that line, that sedimentary layer up. It has taken that dirt out of that hole a body has been put in a fetal position, one or more bodies in some cases, into a fetal position while they had flesh on there. We give all the data and evidence for this in these papers. Then that body is recovered by the dirt that came from that hole with fragments of that interrupted line, line that we call the lorm, um, uh, and we, the layer of orange-red mud, <laughs> and Then those bodies decay, leaving gaps and space, but physically occupy that whole space, showing that they were covered by that dirt. The holes that they're in are broadly oval in shape, accommodating those bodies uh, within it. By every standard that Paul Pettit, that you you just quoted there, has Mm -hmm. ever said, "That that is a grave, now, I do get there are some critics say, well, since only humans bury, then it can't be a grave.
0: But then, it, OK,
1: <laughs> it is it is a hole dug into the ground with a home and a body in it that has been covered by the same dirt.
0: Yeah. And, you know, by the way, you're answering a question that I raised on the show, which is, I think it was maybe misstated that only humans uh, bury or even grieve their dead. You know, as you know, some elephants have been found to cover bodies with soil and branches. They grieve chimpanzees. They even found stories of cats burying their dead. But the detail that you're laying out and the care and attention is... uh, heretofore thought to be specific to humans. It is. It, those are remarkable instances you're you're referring to.
1: This is a human level mm-hmm, of interaction. Mm-hmm. Those are those those approach the crudest level of a human in, 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 in interaction that we have. You know, and some people would argue, by the way, that a mother carrying a dead baby around for several days is the opposite of the recognition of
0: death and, and mourning, because right. it doesn't recognize death.
1: And it may be mourning, the, yeah. but it's not
0: okay. recognizing death. And to make the another comparison to animals, you know, as you know, chimpanzees are given sometimes given a, a paintbrush, and they can make patterns, and the patterns sometimes could resemble something like a crosshatch. So, what is the art that you found? Why are you saying that that is more human than what I've just described?
1: Right. So so there's a couple of things here. One is that and uh, first I have to be careful, I'm not allowed by my colleagues to do the word art. Art okay. has a very human meaning to uh, okay. it. But let's call them symbols right. and maybe even meaning-making symbols. Here's why. Um, there are two parts to it. One, a simple answer to yours is that that the, the the chimpanzee did not invent the paintbrush and it was handed to them by a human and given the medium to do it in that and often mimicking a human uh, as an example. So that, that But I'm not going to dig too deep in that because I think the general idea of what you're pointing to is right. These are firstly repeated symbols. They're not just this one symbol randomly done in the way right, a bear right. scratches a tree or a you could get randomly. They are repeated symbols. They are crosses that are made, upside down crosses. There's a fish-shaped type thing, and that's probably what we want to see um, uh, in, in in that area, there are equal signs that are repeated that are clearly the same symbol done over. There are triangles. And now triangles are really important, by the way. I showed them to a physicist at, at Carnegie Institute where I'm also a, a Carnegie fellow. And the first thing they said when they saw that symbol was they knew math. And I said, why do you say that? And they said, well, because the triangle is a very rare form in nature. It occurs in some rare crystal forms and that sort of thing. But it, is, it, it means that you have an understanding of the equilateral distances between, between spaces. And, you know, I don't know whether that's true. Really, we haven't had to ask that question before. But there are powerful shapes that are non-random and repeated across these boards. And then, by the way, did we add they put something on top of them? <laughs> yeah, you know, they took a non-native substance to that immediate moment and covered them in that. And you may have seen some of those images. They're quite striking. Um, and they erased older ones with dirt from the floor. So they smeared them on and then started their own, leaving these things. So, you know, I, I think whatever and, and one of the things I what has been interesting, by the way, in in The commentary, and let's go back to criticism because that's important and healthy and critique in in a process like this because this is a profound thing that we're we're hypothesizing here. Um, They're doing this into a rock that is half as hard as a diamond or almost so. That takes effort and intent. Mm -hmm. So we argue that these are symbols and that they definitely have meaning. Interestingly, there's been almost no scientists I've seen, you may have seen this, but I have not picked that up yet, saying they aren't symbols. They are not really carved, meaning-making symbols. The one throwaway, which you know, I kind of find amusing, I'll explain why, is because humans must have made them. Yeah. Homo sapiens made them. And I find that an astounding leap given this situation because Homo sapiens in sub-Saharan Africa, in fact, in most places around the planet, don't go into deep cave spaces with any frequency. Yeah. Um, And they leave evidence behind when they do. Yeah. And that, that there is no evidence of any other humans other than the 47 approximate people that have entered that space that we know of. That had been in that space, all the evidence is homo naledi manipulation, yet humans in our arrogance to maintain human exceptionalism say, oh, well, I don't care. The evidence that humans are there are the symbols
0: themselves. So no humans except the 47 have ever gotten into that space. You're one of the 47, right? I am. How? Give me... Give me. Let's talk a little bit about that process. What were your What was your height and weight when this all started? So I'm I'm, I'm just under six foot two. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so by far the tallest person who ever made that attempt into there. And uh, at, at before attempting uh, that, I was I was. Uh, I was 125 kilograms. I don't know what that is in pounds.
0: 275 pounds. Yeah, a lot. You were you were what we would call a big guy. (laughs) I was big guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so it was out of the question that you would get in there. Yeah.
1: And then I, you know, I was having, uh, I was turning 58 last year, and uh, realized there were all the we had this burial paper in play, and we were about to publish it. And I realized that there were these unanswered questions. There were these these contradictions in our data. I was trained as a geologist. I, I've been working in these systems and only three geologists had ever been able to get into that space. Mm-hmm. And the explorers and geologists who got in, you know, the vast majority of the PhDs had never – had never uh, it couldn't sort these problems. They, 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 they're little minor problems to someone who deals with – but they're exactly the ones that we deal with in the critiques that, you know, you you're talking about. You know, which yeah. direction are things flowing? What angles are there? Is the dirt originating from one source or another? Could they have been washed in there? Are there fluvial events? And so I decided that uh, I was going to make an attempt. And so I spent uh, six months losing weight, lost 55 pounds.
0: Yeah. And, um, and, and got in. How'd you, how'd you do it? What were your methods of weight loss? And Why do people always ask that? <laughs> I don't know. I just wondered if you, if you said that's it, I'm only going uh, on uh, slim fast, or if you said no, Toast no, and I, tea. you know,
1: I I I did this wonderful scientific calculation that you, if as long as you
0: eat less than you than you uh, than you burn, then you lose weight. Exactly. But it's funny, like in the history of weight loss, like I can't think of too many other people whose goal weight is to fit in the parameters of an existing <laughs> geological structure because the thing is as i don't need to tell you lee if you're 6'2 and 220 that's still hard to get into the crevice as you described it
1: yeah no it was it was terrible it was yeah. um it was the most exciting and worst moments of my life and on the way down i had to make a decision in three places on you know do i do i do i Push because my chest—you know—one of the parts that is compressible, but it's—it's it's not comfortable. With was jammed in certain spaces. My hips were barely passing through my bony parts of my hips. Um, there are are spaces, and got to remember this is not. I want to clearly picture this for your audience. This is not a pipe. It's not. A 45 meter, a 45 foot pipe. It is a series of crevasses and slots that you move almost 25 feet laterally as you're moving that 45 feet down. And that lateral is not a straight line. So your feet may be going one direction. Your pelvis is going another in a slot. Your chest and upper body tilted and your head turned sideways to fit through the one above. And it is that every centimeter of the way down. It is horrendous. It is – there are many places where one arm must be extended above your head, one arm below you, squeezed against your chest to fit through the space below.
0: And that's with gravity. Going up 10 times as bad. Oh, so what's the most stuck you ever got? Uh, I almost died on the way out. Yeah. How do you practice for that? I assume they have cameras, right? Do you get any sense of here's where the turns are? It's mapped, isn't it, to some extent? It's not mapped because not. we couldn't get – that was part of the problem.
1: We couldn't get any mapping instruments into a space that would, would map in that, in that side of space. So it was loosely laid out, and that's why our early pictures show it as a kind of chimney and gave a lot of false impressions Mm -hmm. you know i i i I spend a great deal of time in spaces i've never been in an extreme space like this i've been stuck before but Mm -hmm. i've never been in a space this extreme and you know because to enter a space like this you have to make a decision that you may lose your life
0: yeah of all the things you've told me is there can you specifically point to one thing that you wouldn't have been able to tell me if you hadn't gone down there that there were symbols on the wall, you found the symbols. I
1: found them. Wow! Forty-five or so people had gone in front of me and and missed them. They were right next to the the hallway between the hill
0: antechamber burial and the Dinalleti chamber. So, of the two great—I mean, you found a species, you found a burial or caching, but symbols are the other major find of this uh, discovery. I you know
1: I think so I think they are going to be probably one although I think we have more coming <laughs> one of the great discoveries of this but I think that um I think that this will unleash a a age of discovering greater recognition of greater complexity and in, in ancient human relatives in the past
0: So other than the fact that you saw the symbols and others didn't or couldn't recognize them, you know, there's an analogy between people who lead an expedition but aren't the actual people on the planet. And in fact, it's called to mind by your cave explorers would call themselves underground astronauts. So they're at Mission Control, a guy named Gene Krantz is directing the mission that we know Neil Armstrong for. We don't think that Gene Kranz knows less. It might be – psycho. I mean, I'm sure Gene Kranz never even said to himself, I could be an astronaut. But you would have been in that position had you have been always out of a remove, knowing what you know, still directing the mission. Would a part of you to this day be regretful? Of
1: course. So, you know, I said – and,
0: you know, anyone who's watched my lectures or seen me on television, I
1: always used to joke about, you know – I'll never go down in that system. My ego is too large to get down in that system. You know, but that's also that's a way funny. of coping. You know, you're sitting there staring at a space that that has been incredibly meaningful to your life individually. It is a great, no matter what you make of Homo Naledi, it is a great scientific discovery. It's an extraordinary space. It's, it is likely their version of Tutankhamun's tomb. And it's a it's an extraordinary space, and of course, I wanted to be there. Um, I would couch that with, "Well, you know, we can send people with with that are competent, that can fit, that can make it." But you know, and and I'm I'm incredibly glad that I I made that attempt because it was, you know, those those symbols were there, and and you know, I was there for a different mission though. And let me let me defend because there is a there, I guarantee you there's someone listening. They'll go, "What? Why didn't the others see that?" You know, what were they? And No. That's my fault as the team leader. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is an extraordinarily dangerous environment. This is a terrible place to get into. You are risking your life no matter how thin you are, how small you are to get in there. Um, We coach people from day one of the danger. We warn them that if they get injured in there seriously, they are going to stay in there. They may never get out. We were going to send doctors in there to stay with them till they could get themselves out. That's how bad it is. You are mission-focused. You're there to do a job. Your time is limited when you're in there. Down you go. You get to that job. And by the time the second person has gone through there, people stop looking. Backyard syndrome. People quit looking around. Why? Because all the good stuff must have been found. Even if they see it, their mind protects them from that and says, that's got to be nothing because someone else would have seen it if it's something. And so, you know, I was there to see things that hadn't been seen. So I was prepped for that moment. And when I saw this passage, you'll hear me on the narration. You know, I go, wow, it, it, it's, it's smaller than I thought, but looks remarkably like a doorway. And then you hear me pause. And then I look to the left of the door because I'm an archaeologist. What do you do when you look at a doorway? You look for signs. You look for meaning-making symbols that humans are great yeah. at putting on doorways. And guess what was right to the left of the door? All these symbols were right there. And by the way, you don't believe me? You'll get to watch it. July seventeenth, the Netflix premiere "Cave of Bones" airs, and they were there was a cameraman with me.
0: Lee Berger is a paleoanthropologist and National Geographic Explorer in Residence who led the team which discovered Homo naledi. Lee, thanks so much. Oh, what a pleasure! Love to talk to you
1: again. I, as we get more discoveries, we'll uh, we can continue the conversation.
0: Now the spiel. CNN headline, Humans pump so much groundwater that Earth's axis has shifted. Study finds. Indeed, this study was published on June 15th in the Journal of Geophysical Research Letters. My dearest Lorraine, as I gaze upon this draw, by which I mean a terrain feature formed by two parallel ridges or spurs with low ground between them. I think of your inviting arms. Oh, my dearest Horace, as I read your last missive, I could almost picture the draw, or what I refer to as a arroyo, ravine or gulch, especially one with a broad floor and gently sloping sides that exists in my longing heart. Anyway, according to the study in the uh, geophysical research letters, moving all that water around and sucking it up from the earth has shifted the earth's tilt 31.5 inches eastward, which is a lot or maybe a little or something to worry about or something that just happens. We just didn't know how much until now. It definitely is a thing that happens. But the authors of the paper or more precisely those covering it in the popular press know they have a gap or an arroyo of meaning between the scientists and the public. So they offer up Some helpful, they say, ways to contextualize the amount of water we pump. The claim is between 1993 and 2010, which was the period examined by the study, humans extracted more than 2,150 gigatons of groundwater from inside the Earth. To put that in perspective, this 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 is how they put it in perspective. If that amount were poured into the ocean, it would raise global sea levels by about... 0.24 inches, which they helpfully tell us is 6 millimeters. That, my friends, is not perspective. Why, to give you a sense of something massive, would they spread it out among something even more massive? I looked up gigaton conversion. In other contexts, not much more helpful. So it turns out Greenland is losing ice mass at a rate of 200 83 gigatons per year. And NASA asks, what's a gigaton? So they have a cool video and they superimpose a gigaton, one gigaton of ice over Central Park. And they say it would raise to the height of 341 meters high, which is great, except Central Park's in New York and we don't think in meters. Okay, raised to the height of 1,119 feet high, which is a little less than the size of the Empire State Building. All of ice. Maybe we could get our heads around that. The NASA video also makes the claim that 5,000 gigatons is enough to cover the entire state of Texas with 26 feet of water. I Don't know why you'd want to do that. So our gigaton calculation for the amount of water humans extracted during the period coinciding with friends being on the air, was, remember, of 2,150 gigatons. So you do the math. It concludes that amount of water would be enough to cover the entire state of Texas with 11 feet of water or cover Belgium with 220 feet of water just because... I like to compare things to the size of Belgium. But then I was thinking, wait a minute, humans are water. Humans are more than 50%. Turns out, I think women, men are maybe 55. Women are 60% water. The human biomass is 100 billion tons. Okay, I'm on to something. But then I saw that that tons was spelled T-O-N-N-E-S. Ah, oh, Jesus, it's not the regular tons. That tons is a metric ton. A 1,000 metric tons is a gigaton, Are you really helping us with any of this, scientists? Anyway, a gigaton is a billion metric tons, meaning the amount of water in all people is about 60 billion tons. So 60 gigatons, it means we have, during the friends' years, extracted enough water to water the entire human population 40 times over. If it worked that way, if we were plants, it doesn't work that way. None of this helps. Also, a metric ton just happens to be slightly bigger than a regular ton to be I don't know, kind of an asshole. The CNN coverage of the paper says, quote, subterranean reserves of liquid water are finite. Once drained, they're slow to replenish, which does not mean finite. It means not finite, just slow, possibly very slow. It gives you some idea of how much any of these people really want us to know or understand, or maybe how much they understand. Here's what I know, the poles have moved 31.5 inches. Interesting, sure, why, can't say. I did learn a new word. I'll leave you with something. A zone within the earth that restricts the flow of groundwater from one aquifer to another is called an aquitard, an aquitard. By the way, Dick Sporting Goods also sells aquitards alongside the tankini, but that aquitard is different from our aquitard. According to CNN, the size of all tankinis stacked 13 feet high across the state of Texas would reach a depth of 0.24 inches or about the size of Belgium. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is chief aquatard purveyor of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oh, and this is kind of weird, but you know I have a Substack. It's called Pesca Profundities, and uh, I wrote about a dog who becomes president. It's fiction, but could happen. I don't know. Just thought I'd give that kind of genre a shot. If you want to check it out, I'd be grateful. boop G ji pa and thanks for listening.